What up, Landos? This is Kelso, and this is the Kelso Lando Show. Um, today is January 12th, 2023. I realized that in my last pod, I was saying I was saying the exact number of days it had been since the murders, but then I realized that no one had any context for when I was recording or talking about that. So I'm going to get started by listing each of the victims' names again. Xanner Kernodal. Ethan Chapin, Kaylee Gonsalves, and Madison Mogan. Um, but yeah, no one had any context for that, so <laughs> I decided to give the date today. Um, a little update. Today there was a hearing for BK, and his defense, I think, requested basically a, a postponement or a stay of his um date for his grand jury indictment now a lot of people are like oh that's so far away because i think they scheduled it for june um but for those of you who don't know in the united states it is the defendant's right to a speedy trial because the defendant in this case it's their constitutional rights that are at stake not the states even though it is like a murder case um, and you could make the argument that those kids and their families' right to justice are at stake, but here we're presuming innocence until proven guilty. So if so the reason why the defense requests postponement in that case um, is so that they have time to sift through all the evidence because right now, the prosecution has been collecting all the evidence since these murders and they've had time to review it and such. Um, and in the United States, we have liberal discovery laws, which basically means the prosecution has to turn over everything to the defense and the defense has to sift through that and build their case. And when a defense attorney is building a case, they don't have to prove anything. They just have to show reasonable doubt um and basically when a jury convicts someone of a crime they have to believe based on the evidence presented that the person accused did it beyond a reasonable doubt before they convict them so when a defense attorney is building a case they just try to insert doubt at every moment they can so for example with a knife sheath they might say something like oh you know bk's dna is on that i'm still trying not to say his name although i know it so like i'm tempted to say it every time but i'm gonna try to stick to just using his initials because screw that guy um they might say something like oh um that was actually bk's friend's knife and or <laughs> sorry let me backtrack they might say something like oh bk's dna is on that because you know perhaps like someone borrowed the knife from him stole it from him or like he touched it it was his friends at some point i don't know something like that so you just try to insert doubt everywhere you can and if you have ever watched you know the people versus oj or something like that or reviewed even the oj simpson case you could see that in that case, there's pretty damning evidence against OJ Simpson and that he killed Nicole Brown. And let me look up, I'm sorry, I wanna say both victims' names 
Okay, I'm back. So, in the case of Nicole Brown and her friend Ron Goldman, their murders, there was a lot of damning evidence against O.J. Simpson, but that case is really, really famous. One, because, I mean, I I was born in the 90s, so I didn't really know who O.J. was before the murders. But according to my mom and people that I know that are a little bit older, O.J. Simpson is kind of equivalent to The Rock Johnson. So imagine if The Rock Johnson murdered his ex-wife and her friend. That's how absolutely crazy that case was. And then imagine if there was just a ton of evidence against them and The Rock Johnson was able to not go to jail because he had the best lawyers that money can buy. Um, And he was able to do so because, and everyone, now I'm gonna defend lawyers a little bit. And fun fact, I have a law degree, so maybe that's why I feel like I have a little skin in the game. Um, Lawyers, it's their job to zealously advocate for their clients. So (laughs) I feel like a lot of times people were like, you know, shit on a lawyer because, you know, it's like, well, he's like defending a murderer and he's like, you know, pointing out things that he knows probably isn't true at all and stuff like that. Well, it's a lawyer's job to put up the best argument for their client every single time. And everyone likes to shit on a lawyer until they need one, until you're the one accused of a crime. So I would just keep that in mind when you're thinking about defense lawyers and whatnot. Um, so yeah, so BK has requested, you know, a not post, I don't know, stay of his trial so that his defense can really like look through all the evidence, evidence and point out where the weaknesses are in the prosecution's case. Um, I was listening to a podcast today, Police Off the Cuff with Sergeant Bill, and he had a police and criminal lawyer on the pod, and they were talking about how, well, okay, so for, it's been a little bit since I took Crim Pro, but uh, for federal charges, most of the time you need a grand jury indictment, and I'm not really, I don't know, like, state-to-state criminal laws, but I guess in Idaho, in this case, they're going to do a grand jury indictment, even though they're not federal charges. Um, So I think that's what's going to happen on that first date they have. In a grand jury indictment, that's with a different jury than than the jury that's ultimately going to be at trial. Um, So that's just, and that's where the police present their probable cause evidence and the reasons why the state should charge BK with this crime and take him to trial. Um, And the reason why a, uh, someone like arrested has, you know, a right to a speedy trial is because when you've confined someone like you have BK in a jail, um, you're taking away their due process rights. And basically like everyone in the, under the United States constitution, we have a right to due process, which means like you can't take away our freedom basically without going through some sort of procedure and trial. Um, Again, it's been a minute since I've taken criminal procedure or constitutional law, but that's kind of the gist of it. And there's lots of due process rights you have and it applies to like quasi-judicial proceedings too. So that's why like, I don't know, like there's all sorts of grievance processes and stuff that you can file pretty much in any sort of um, institution. Uh, yeah, so that's a little bit 
of an update about what's going on in that. Um, I think these kind of murder cases are interesting for me because generally I fall on the side of, I don't want to put more people in jail. I don't believe like drug offenses, for example. I think it's absolutely it's totally dumb that we still like convict people for drug offenses and put them in jail like when has that ever helped someone overcome a substance use issue or a disorder you know and what what has that done for society at all like i mean we're looking back at like you know cannabis convictions from the past hundred years and we're, they we're looking back and we're like, wow, that's a lot of that's just racist, you know, just a reason to, and even the difference between, you know, crack convictions and cocaine convictions. I think there's like a song about it too, but it's like, you know, I don't know that much about crack or cocaine, but from what I've learned is that like crack is just a little bit different than cocaine in the way that it's made, but the, like substantively and what they are is not so, so different. But the laws on the books for those are incredibly different. Um, there's a lot more heavy punishment that comes with crack convictions than there are cocaine convictions historically. And part of the reason for that is because like racist policies. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I, come from on the whole like putting people behind bars angle I don't know where I fall on the political spectrum and I don't really know yeah but I, I just know that like like I said I have a law degree and originally I got my law degree because I wanted to be a criminal defense lawyer um, I used to watch trials um, in Yolo County and fun fact like most courthouses you can just go and you can sit and you can watch criminal trials. Um, so if you're interested in being a lawyer or a criminal defense lawyer or a prosecutor or whatever, like you can just go to your local county courthouse and just go sit and watch cases. And I used to like write, I don't know, for this blog. Um, it was an unpaid internship, one of the many unpaid internships I've had over the years. But anyways, that's kind of how I got introduced to that kind of career. And when I was watching those cases, I, I would see like just it was it was honestly heartbreaking because I would see like 19 20 year old men be convicted for like brandishing a weapon and they would ultimately get sentenced for like 80 years and stuff like that like along those lines um because there was all sorts of gang enhancements because these so the way it worked, at least in Yolo County at the time, is that they had like a set list of factors that they would look for when deciding or like prosecuting someone and trying to make the argument that they were part of a gang. So the crime, like brandishing a weapon, was connected to that gang activity. And then they would, you know, establish that the defendant was part of the gang because of X, X, and X. And these factors could be like, oh, like photographed with another known gang member or like pictured color wearing like these insignias and stuff like that and it would enhance their sentences so something that like brandishing a weapon I don't know what the sentence for that was but may say it's like you know five years but like after two and a half you go out and on parole they would add like you know like, like it's so many more years onto these sentences just because of the uh the gang enhancements and it was just sad to see because I don't know I, uh, I do believe some people are evil and I guess that's my next point, but 
I don't, I don't think most people are evil. I think it's very, very rare that you meet someone that's a true psychopath. Um, and BK in this case, I'm pretty convinced is like a true psychopath or if he didn't do it, whoever did this is a true psychopath. But I think most people, and when talking about this case too, a lot of people would be like, well, was it the boyfriend or the ex-boyfriend that did it? And again, that's why this case is so interesting is because no, it, it's not the ex-boyfriend. It's not a boyfriend. It's not a partner. And, and when you look at homicides, I think most of the time someone has a connection to the case. And as I was saying last week, it's usually a man that murders. We've all seen school shootings and stuff. Like when has it been a woman? Sorry, not sorry. Um, but yeah, it'll usually be someone with some sort of relationship with a victim. So what makes me think someone is a true psychopath is when they have no relationship to the victim whatsoever, or at least not one that's based in reality. Um, and I think it's interesting because in that podcast I was listening to, uh, police off the cuff, they played audio from, I don't know, I think she was like a criminology professor or something, but the interviewer asked, well, like, do you think this person's evil? And she was like, you know, I think evil has religious connotations with it. I don't believe in evil, whatever. And it kind of got me thinking, like, do I believe in evil? Like, what is being evil? And I was like, what happened to those kids was evil. So that, that's my thought process. That's what I believe. So I have to believe in evil. And I didn't grow up with a religious background. I don't believe in the devil. I don't believe, I don't know what I believe, but I'm pretty agnostic. But needless to say, I'm not like, you know, carrying my religious upbringing into this. I truly do think that there are evil people out there, people capable of truly evil, vile acts. And when I was considering becoming a criminal defense lawyer, it, I thought about that. I, <laughs> I thought about, you know, most of the time I think I would be fine defending someone because I, I believe that everyone has a right to a zealous advocate and a right to fight for their freedom. But the idea to me of being an advocate for someone that I truly thought was evil and doing so by poking holes in a prosecution's case by, and oftentimes defense attorneys will have to try to impeach the witness and impeaching witnesses in a prosecution's case, oftentimes you're trying to impeach victims. So in this case, the surviving roommate that witnessed BK in the house, she's going to be put on the stand at this trial because she is a great witness for the prosecution. She's going to garner sympathy. She is an ear and an eyewitness to the night that it happened. So she's going to be put on the stand and it's going to be that defense attorney's job to make her look like a liar, to make her look like her account of the events isn't believable. And, but that's his job, you know, that's his that's that person's job, he or she, they, sorry. Um, that's gonna be that person's job to do that. And I don't know why that person went into the career, but I know from experience, like a lot of people I know that went into becoming a defense attorney, they do it because they believe in the constitutional right to defend your freedom. And I will never shame someone for that. But I don't think personally, I ever wanted to be in the position where 
I had to impeach someone that I truly thought had been through something terrible. So that was, that was kind of the reason that, you know, I decided not to. And obviously I am a fan of true crime. Um, so I, I've thought about this a lot. And another thing I want to talk about is that some people just don't believe that we should put humans behind bars. Um, uh, some people believe that every time you detain someone or like, you know, for some crime or something that's, that should be punishable, it should be a for, like a rehabilitative process that the goal should be to like fix or help that person and get them to a point that they're safe to reintroduce back into society. And I agree with that in some cases. For example, like drug cases. I mean, I don't even think people should be convicted of drug crimes most of the time. I think that the war on drugs has only led to more organized crime. It's only led to, you know, drugs being cut with fentanyl and more people dying because we don't have any regulation of drugs in a safe way because people are always going to do drugs. People have always been doing drugs. They're never going to stop. So, so why are we, why do we convict? I don't know. It, it blows my mind. So that's kind of where I come at with like drug convictions, but that's not a good example. Cause I really don't believe that people should be convicted of drugs. I do think that we should help rehabilitate people with substance use disorders if they wish, but I also think it's your right to be an addict. I don't know. Like, like, is that crazy? I think it's your right to be stupid. I think it's your right to do a lot of things. I don't think it's your right to hurt other people or to be stupid and hurt other people in doing so. But that's besides the point. So in a case like this, where I think a truly evil act has been done, I, in my personal opinion, feel like putting someone behind bars serves a different purpose. And so a good example for like a rehabilitative case, I think is like someone who participates in organized crime, you know, like someone who, uh, if you watch The Wire, it's a great show, but I, you look at that and you look at like the gangs in that show and I'm like, those, like, at least in the show, I don't, I don't know many gang, any gang members that I know of, but I, I don't believe, I've, I think evil people are, very rare. And I think that like organized crime often is just a symptom of uh, wealth inequality and not offering opportunities, the same opportunities to everyone everywhere. And sometimes like you got to take the opportunities you're offered. And if that's organized crime and that's the only way you can take care of your family, like sometimes that happens, you know? And so in a case like that, I do feel like our criminal justice system should be rehabilitative. We should you know, try to figure out a way to um, fix organized crime at like the root cause instead of treating the symptoms and just putting people in jail behind bars and stuff because that's never going to solve the issue. You know, you got to rehabilitate the societal issue before you can like really do anything. Um, but in a case like this, and I don't believe in the death penalty either, but in a case like this where someone seems to be truly truly evil and beyond societal rehabilitation i think the criminal justice system serves to scare other truly evil people um 
I, I do. I think that, you know, the death penalty in a case like this is to scare the shit out of someone who otherwise might do something bad. Um, and I don't know, you know, I don't, I haven't like interviewed truly evil people and been like, hey, like, yeah, this person went to jail for like three life sentences. Like, has that stopped you from doing anything? I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't think anyone would like tell me like, yeah, I'm a psychopath, but like that stopped me. But that's kind of my point of view on that. Like you need sometimes an extreme punishment to be like, yeah, we are a civil society and we will do something about you if you fuck up in that way, you know, not even fuck up. That's not a fuck up. A fuck up is an accident, but like we will do something about you if you, you know, commit truly evil acts against other human beings and whatever, you know? Um, so yeah. And, you know, I think another point that should be mentioned though, when I'm talking about, you know, quote unquote psychopaths or truly evil people, um, is that nowadays we're getting better and better technology. And I one time brought this up, point up to my con law professor, and I don't think he really understood what, what I was talking about. Kind of made me feel dumb, but um, he was kind of a jerk. Anyways, but like we're getting better and better technology every day. And brain scans are getting better. We're learning more and more about the brain. We're learning more and more about birth defects and whatnot. And I've thought about it and I'm like, what if what makes you a psychopath slash evil person slash, you know, cold-blooded murderer like this what if it's just a brain abnormality you know like a mental mental disorder of some sort that you are born with and there was no chance to ever fight it unless like I mean yeah no chance you know like what if it wasn't what if you're not culpable what if you're not responsible for what makes you evil is it still justifiable to put someone behind bars I mean, in a case like this, I think it is because another reason, another reason for the criminal justice system. So first we have rehabilitative, then we have to scare people. There's technical terms for this, like utilitarianism and whatnot, but I kind of normative, but I kind of forgot what's associated with what, but this is like the layman's terms. The other reason is to protect the rest of society from you. Um, and so I don't, yeah, I don't know if if like punishing someone with a brain abnormality that causes them to be a cold-blooded killer to like the extreme, it, will that ever put off other people like them? You know, if it's a, if it's a physicality, like a literal like chemistry thing in their bodies that makes them that way. I don't know, but if you lock them up, you can keep the rest of society safe sometimes. So those are some like, I don't know, just thoughts I've been having about the criminal justice system and, you know, where I stand on its purpose. Okay, so I want to switch um, topics a little bit now because I've talked about the murders, you know, quite a bit. Um, and I haven't really talked about why I started this podcast. Um, so... I've, you know, been a listener of podcasts ever since I listened to Serial. Um, and then I went over to like My Favorite Murder. And now, I mean, it's funny because 
I guess I started listening to podcasts in like 2016. So now it's been like six years, but I've always been a fan of like radio shows. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I'm from the Bay area and we had live 105 and I used to listen to Woody in the morning. And I remember I would drive on the way to school with my brothers and they would talk about like sex and stuff like that. And it like blew my mind that that was on the radio and also made me super embarrassed that I was like in the car with my brothers and people were talking about that kind of stuff. Um, so when I got older and had a smartphone, I was like, oh my God, you can listen to radio shows anytime, anywhere at the drop of a hat. Like it blew my mind, which makes, I feel like makes me sound super old. Um, but they've all, yeah, it's always been one of my favorite things. Um, and I really like podcasts cause you can just like plug them in and do whatever. I'm a big, I joke with my partner. I'm always like two B one S two B one S means two birds, one stone and podcasts were made for two B one S like, like, I don't know you, you plug it in, you can clean your car, you plug it one in, you can do anything. Um, I could, you know, I've, I've actually ran two marathons and I would just listen to podcasts all the time. It's like, they kind of make me feel like I can do anything. Um, that being said, I listen to a lot of podcasts and it's got to the point where like, with like my favorite murder, I also used to listen to Chatty Broads, a bachelor podcast. I don't really watch the bachelor anymore because I got introduced to Bravo shows and something about the bachelor just started seeming super boring to me because one, the couples never stay together anymore Two, I mean, it doesn't really bother me that, that like everyone wants to go on the show to be an influencer, but it's just like, I don't know. I'd rather watch Bravo at that point, you know, than have some like weird archaic format. Although Bachelor in Paradise, I probably should have watched, especially with the Victoria F. Greg Grippo drama. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, so <laughs> I know it's like a joke, like everyone and their mother has a podcast. But I think if you're like a true fan of podcasts, you know that there's never enough good podcast content out there. You know, like I'll go through someone's entire library in a week if I find a podcast I like. So I was like, you know, I like talking. Um, in my relationship, I probably do like 75% of the talking. Yeah, I don't know. He doesn't seem to mind yet. <laughs> He's a really nice guy though. So, so who knows? But I, I'm just like, my therapist once told me, or maybe it was my partner, but my therapist confirmed it. I was like, he's my partner Sam was like you think out loud and I was like oh that's so true like I I don't have a filter a lot of the times and <laughs> I used to be like like I like not having a filter because I think it helps me bond with people sometimes when I'm just like yep like here's what happened to me today and like you know just like no holds bar um but I learned later in life that sometimes having no filter and being an overshare is a symptom of trauma. Um, I, you know, I'm not going to talk about my trauma right now, but yeah, I mean, needless to say, I grew up in a big family and we were very confrontational and aggressive with each other. Like, I joke, I joke that, you know, like some families are really passive aggressive. Like my family was aggressive, aggressive. Um, I, I shouldn't joke about it, but I've like seen like multiple fistfights between men in my family. Uh, do we see a theme here? My love for true crime, my, um, absolute 
criticism of like violent masculinity yeah I think it comes from that because in my family like there was always a man trying to ruin a birthday or a holiday or something you know it's just like I just got sick of it and again I had three brothers and a dad and me and my mom were like the other two which you know I had her but my (laughs) my mom I love my mom and we're, we're very close. Um, but my mom very much to me kind of represents like second wave feminism. Um, like the eighties, nineties, like career woman, like I can go to work every day and be the breadwinner and pay for childcare and, you know, take care of my family financially, that kind of thing. Um, like she's like an executive, she works in like executive management kind of thing. Um, so all that to say, I feel like sometimes my mom represents more masculine qualities. So for me growing up, it was like, it just felt like a very masculine household. Like I didn't have any sisters. Like I, if so part of part of the reason I have a TikTok and it's like I do my hair and makeup on it mainly and like outfit checks and stuff like that but part of the inspiration for having that TikTok and I post like pretty consistently I tried to do it every day last year but then I got like a real job and had to you know not post as much but uh yeah so I my TikTok Kelsa Lando um, was partially inspired because I like doing my makeup and I like doing my hair. Like it feels artistic to me. It's like, I mean, and what's not to like about it? It's like one of the most functional forms of self-expression, fashion, makeup, hair. It's like, it's like, I, I love art and I love being able to like put it on myself so I can like own it, you know? It's like, this is me, this was my work, this is what I did. And so making my TikTok was partially, you know, to put myself out there more because my ultimate goal was like, you know, a podcast, but also like to be like, I like doing my makeup and hair. And honestly, I don't like doing it for my partner or doing it for going out. I like doing it for the artistic value. So a lot of times I would just like do my makeup and then wash it off right after. So I was like, you know what, why not? film this and just try to edit it into fun videos um and yeah and and part of the fun of that is I've gotten a lot better at editing videos (laughs) through it and now I enjoy like making content um and to me making content is artistic too um I uh yeah so growing up my family very masculine and my mom very second wave feminist and (laughs) I think back then when I say second wave feminism, to me, it kind of represents like females embodying traditionally masculine qualities to be on the same level as men. And what I love about, you know, living in 2023 now, and partially, I think maybe it was drag culture that made me really realize this, but I feel like something about like, queer culture and drag has really made me appreciate the power of traditionally feminine um, values, you know, like, yeah, doing your hair and makeup, making things look beautiful, like that can be powerful too. Like you don't have to embody masculine or traditionally male things like, you know, I don't, I don't know, like 
being aggressive, for example, or, uh, or like, you know, not wearing makeup and like roughing it outside, you know, like the not like other girls thing. Like you don't need to be like that to be strong and to be equal and to be cool. And, you know, sometimes like that's part of the reason why I love drag so much is you see people taking, yeah, like makeup and hair and just like the costume and the, and the performance art of it and turning it into something so, so powerful. And for me, it helped me like, you know, appreciate my own like for those kinds of things. Like when I was a little kid, I used to always like put on like steal my mom's makeup and put it on and stuff like that. And at a certain point I got really embarrassed about it because I perceived it as like not cool to want to be pretty. I don't know. Like (laughs) it, it seems kind of ridiculous to me now because like I love to make things more aesthetically pleasing like I think it's I think that's I mean I don't know you you can define what art is yourself but sometimes art to me is just like turning things into like my vision you know and hair and makeup and stuff like that kind of falls along that line um so yeah if you check out my TikTok, it's like all that kind of stuff (laughs) when I remember to film oh yeah so starting this podcast everyone has a podcast, whatever. My thing is you got to put your art or your content. I use kind of that interchangeably. I don't know. It sounds kind of pretentious if I call it art, but I like, what is art? I don't know. It's like, it's stuff you make, stuff you make and you put out into the world. And to really, I think, be true to yourself and be true to your art is to not care about the results. Like you make the thing and making the thing and putting it out there, that's the art. Like how people receive it, how it goes, like that's inconsequential. And I'm not saying that. So like, you know, if you say something like offensive, you shouldn't reflect. But I'm just saying that is like, so what if no one listens to it? Who cares? Like you did the thing, you put it out there. I mean, that's that's life, right? Like the essence of life to me is creation. Like some people, I joke, have like, bucket lists or like have to be traveling to feel alive for me I have to have projects like I freaking love all my little projects my like they're all like passion projects or whatever I don't, I don't get paid for any of my creative stuff but I don't know it's just fun it's like what's the point of life if if you're not gonna put yourself out there and you know pursue those things and like let the potential results stop you from doing those things, you know? So if anyone is listening to this, which I have no idea, probably not that many or probably no one. Um, if you're listening to this though, and you know, something's stopping you just freaking do it. And also don't be a perfectionist. Like I call myself an imperfectionist. Like I could not be bothered to straighten all the lines out or make sure everything's level. Like, but I think that's part of the reason I'm able to do these things is because I don't have to be perfect, but I will keep going, you know? And sometimes being a perfectionist is like a form of anxiety and not letting yourself pursue the things you want to do because you expect yourself to do it perfectly. But one, you're never going to do it perfectly. And two, everyone has to be a beginner at something, you know? You have to humble yourself. Like, you don't become an expert ever without being a novice at some point. So that's kind of my perspective on that. 
Okay, now let's get into movies that I have watched recently. Um, okay, we'll start. We'll start from the bottom, guys. The movie Anchorman sucks. I'm sorry. I'm gonna say it. I uh, <laughs> I watched that recently, um, and like growing up. I, there was all those like Will Ferrell movies like Talladega Nights, Kicking and Stre- Screaming, even Elf um, and Anchorman. Sorry, I feel like saying Elf is going to get me hate, but I just never thought Will Ferrell was that funny or like his movies are that funny growing up. And, you know, maybe it's because like I thought maybe it's because I wasn't funny. But then now that I'm older, I was like, all right, maybe I'll give Anchorman another watch. I haven't given Talladega Nights another watch or Kicking and Screaming or I don't even know the other ones off the top of my head anymore. But even Elf, like I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of like, I don't know. Now there's just so many shitty Christmas movies. Like it used to be fun to watch Hallmark movies because they weren't bad on purpose. They were like just like bad because they they were just cheesy but like they they weren't so so bad but now everyone is making purposely bad movies and it's like no freaking stop it like stop it like actually try make a rom-com you know whatever but um yes I don't like elf that much but so I tried giving anchorman a watch because I was like okay maybe it's funny uh it's so quotable and I live in San Diego the movies about an anchorman in San Diego so I couldn't watch it and it honestly was not funny it wasn't funny I didn't think it was funny at all and I remember I was like yeah there's a scene where a guy's arm gets cut off and my partner was like what and sure enough there's just like a random scene in it where like like five different news stations get in a fight and Paul Rudd's arm gets cut off like (laughs) it's so dumb I don't know why and this is gonna okay I'm gonna like bring it back to men but I just think it's like men sometimes like they're so freaking funny and it's like not at all it's like slapstick you know and I don't know I just I think there needs to be a little bit of like like thought behind a joke you know before to make me giggle um yeah and also it's just I don't know there's like one woman in it which is I guess another point in the movie but like (laughs) we'll see when I bring it back like when I watched Tropic Thunder um there is not a single woman with more than like a line in that movie so I don't yeah maybe you can you can call me an angry feminist but watching these movies that were so-called like the comedy hits of the decade at least those two had like no women in it I mean okay Anchorman does have uh, what are Christina Applegate? I forget her character's name, and yeah, she she holds her own in that movie. But still, it's like she's the old. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I get that it's part of the plot, but weird. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Tropic Thunder, literally no woman in that one movie. Like watch it. Yeah, although in my opinion, it's still better than Anchorman. Uh, it's just like there's a there's a lot of gratuitous violence that is unnecessary especially in the beginning but I can kind of forgive it because some of the jokes are kind of are pretty funny like there's I'm gonna spoil the plot a little bit but if you haven't seen by now it's been out for like 15 years um what's his name Danny McBride's in it and 
the movies the movie is basically about uh these actors that go to vietnam to film a vietnam war movie and it's based on a book written by a vietnam war veteran and so danny mcbride's like talking to this guy and like the guy seems super like like i don't know he's got like hooks for hands and he like seems like you know this really like grizzled guy um and danny mcbride's like i love you i love your book man like really like it's my favorite it inspired me to become like he's like the explosives guy on set he's like it inspired me to like pursue this job and like freaking love you man and like somewhere in the movie it comes out that this like veteran like faked the whole book like it's not even based on a true story he's just like some creative writer um, and and there's a scene where Danny McBride and this like fake war veteran are like running from these guys and, and Danny McBride is like is like shadow me Pinocchio and it's just a throwaway line but honestly like that's the kind of line that Anchorman Anchorman did not have any of those lines like that was freaking hilarious and it was a throwaway line and Anchorman did not hit that point and I'm I'm gonna blame Will Ferrell I don't know if you're a Will Ferrell fan sorry but I feel like I've heard stuff about him that he's like kind of a jerk and like watching his movies just kind of make me mad because they make me bring me back to being like a 12 year old girl who my family said wasn't funny um and like not understanding why people like these movies anyways uh Tropic Thunder I did think was better. Although there is Robert Downey Jr. in blackface in that. And I might, so I can't really speak on whether that's okay at all. I, yeah, I'm assuming, yeah, I'm not gonna, but yeah. But in that movie, they, that's part of, I don't know. It's part of the thing in the movie is that like the lengths actors go to to see, to, to play real people and like how they can like yeah like we've had that in real life though like white actors playing like asian people we've had we've had it's a real it's a thing you know and in the movie they're like making fun of it to the most extreme um but at least like they have a black character who like calls him on it and they have that conversation and they say it's not okay i don't know um yeah so that's like one of the reasons why i was nervous to talk about tropic thunder because i'm like i did think it was funny also because they're making fun of actors it's also interesting to think about like gwyneth paltrow wearing a fat suit in shallow Hal. oh god that has jack black in it i totally forgot oh but yeah it's just like the links actors go to to portray like people of color and other marginalized groups it, it's uh yeah it <laughs> it is very stupid when you think about it okay <laughs> the best movies these are um okay legally blonde i've probably seen like seven times 10 out of 10 um it's the epitome of what i think of when i think of female driven humor you know clever self-aware yet like that movie is so good <laughs> my boyfriend and I were watching it or whatever uh, my boyfriend and I were watching it and he was like a little stoned and he had never seen it before and we, like after it was over he was I was like oh like how'd you watch like the movie and he's like I really liked it except for 
honestly like the first half really stressed me out and i wasn't sure i wanted to watch it anymore because they were so mean to her and i was like wow you're right they are actually really mean to her but it, the movie's so funny though because like there's so many lines in it where it's like it's like making fun of like the california versus east coast vibes like there's a scene where like she's like dad i want to go to law school and he's like law school's for ugly and boring people and it's like it's very much like reminds like and then she goes to harvard and like everything's gray and they're all like everyone's all moody and like serious about everything and it just kind of reminds me of like you know like how like west coast like you know i live in southern california like how we view like people on the east coast like super serious and like like angry all the time and then like east coast people view like west coast or at least like socal people is just like super like shallow and like (laughs) like not not serious and like kind of dumb um which i think is funny it's like a very self-aware movie with like yeah and in the end she she don't like yeah warner warner doesn't get either girl um and it's got jennifer coolidge in it in the bend and snap like when have you ever seen anyone bend and snap that whole scene feels like it was made up out of thin air but it's like hilarious too because it's like supposed to be the sexiest thing in the world and i'm still trying to figure out like what is sexy about the bend and snap um yeah if anyone has an answer to that let me know okay next movie on my recommend list so I rated Legally Blonde a 10 out of 10. You, This isn't a comedy. I don't know why I put it on this list, but it is a fantastic movie. It's called About Time. It has Rachel McAdams and other people in it. Actually, it has Margot Robbie too. Oh, two beautiful women. Um, yeah, About Time, <laughs> you sit down to watch it. And at first you think it's a rom-com about Rachel McAdams in this in this guy and then you know the movie keeps going and you're like they're they're actually fine like what is this movie about (laughs) and then you realize it's a father-son movie and kind of like a brother-sister but just kind of like a family movie it's honestly it's freaking fantastic highly recommend um and then the top of my list we have school of rock um i think with like tiktok recently there's a trend i don't know it's the one where like jack black goes ding, 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 and he's like telling the class like his vision for the show um and it's it's so funny it's jack black at his freaking prime it's like pg too i remember watching this movie growing up so many times and maybe that's why it took me so long to watch it as an adult an adult but you have to watch it as an adult it's amazing and ned schneebly the roommate is the creator of white lotus so it's like a fun little connection there and ned schneebly's girlfriend is sarah silverman and honestly i don't really like her character because she's just so negative and again it's like one of the only well actually it's not the only adult female but she's just you know sometimes when there's like a female character and she's just so naggy and you're like all right no one's that insufferable that's kind of how i felt but you know (laughs) and then you also have the principal oh what is her name what is that actress's name i should look it up um but yeah that movie is a 10 out of 10 highly recommend watch it with your family um so quotable yeah oh also i rated anchorman a 4 out of 10 so there you go okay next up 
do you believe in the dentist? Because now I think having gone to grad school, I'm very much like, wow, I worked really hard for that. I'm going to trust people when they have a degree in their professional field, when they give me an opinion. But lately, I've been hearing from more and more people that they just don't trust the dentist. And I'm not saying this like, like some dentists are more conservative than others. Like, like you've ha- you have a dentist for 10 years and they're like x-raying your mouth every other year. And they're like, yeah, you know, you got these like small little cavities, but they haven't really developed. So we're just going to leave them there. Like, and then you go to a new dentist and, you know, they take an x-ray and they're like, well, you have 10 cavities, but you're like, well, yeah, my other dentist knew about that, but he didn't do anything. Cause he was like, they're not growing. Um, yeah. I always thought like, like I, I could understand that, but I think recently, like I've heard from a few people that are like, no, like, I just don't think you really need to get ca- like your teeth filled that often, you know, like you're like whatever your teeth are made out of in your like natural ecology of your mouth is probably gonna be okay I don't I don't know I grind my teeth at night I cracked a molar I I come to the dentist with my heart in my hands and asking for their forgiveness for everything like I didn't start flossing until I met my partner um and yeah so I don't know and it just like blows my mind though because like I always thought death starts in the mouth you know and when I talk to my mom (laughs) my mom you'll come to realize that I think my mom is the smartest person in the world I don't know (laughs) but I do um I don't like even if I'm proven wrong I still will think that so yeah but uh I always talk to my mom when I was little I'd be like hey mom like would you ever like, if you could live in a different time, would you? She's always like, hell no. Like we live in the time with the best medicine. Like being in the present always has the best medicine and the best dentistry. And I don't want a mouth full of rotten teeth. And I was like, huh, that's a good point. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, ever since that cracked molar and I've never had a root canal, but my brother had one once and he told me that like, the root canal was the only thing that could relieve the pain in its mouth. So, so I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm pro dentist, but I didn't know it was a polarizing thing. So if you have thoughts on that, let me know. Moving on recently on Reddit. (laughs) Okay. One of my favorite things, one time I was on the phone with my my best friend and she had started dating this guy that I didn't know like I had never met him and they were living in North Carolina at the time and I was just like I was talking and I was like why do so many people hate California because you'll see like I like if I go on reddit there was like a question it's like what's your most favorite state and what's your least favorite state and someone was like can I say California for both um and I thought it was funny because like it's true like California can't live with it can't live without it um and I was like I can understand why someone living in California would hate California because it's so freaking expensive to live here and there's like fires and no water and SDG&E is like trying to take my first born child but 
I was like, why does this dude from North Carolina care at all about California? Like I'm, I no offense to North Carolina, but since I, well, now I know about North Carolina, but before that I didn't even know there's a difference between North and South Carolina. No, I'm just kidding. I did. I'm just shitting on North Carolina now, but, uh, I have to defend my great state, you know? Um, Cause when you hear this, this guy, I was like, yeah, like what, why, why does everyone? And I was asking my friend this, I was on speakerphone. And I was like, why does everyone hate California? And he goes freaking off. Like, it was like, I, it was like, I asked him why we thought his ex-girlfriend was crazy. You know, he's like, it is this, this, and this. And honestly, at the time I was like fairly certain he was listing things that Joe Rogan had listed on his podcast recently as reasons why he moved to Austin, Texas. Now I used to listen to Joe Rogan podcast pretty frequently and (laughs) say what you want about it. But if you listen to that podcast, you can like really, you know, when a man is quoting Joe Rogan to you, like it's honestly, I, I should listen to it again more because yeah, when you can, <laughs> at least I never, I've never called out a man in real life for quoting Joe Rogan to me, but it's freaking hilarious when they do it. Like one time I was in my, um, what is it called? My like professional responsibility class in law school and the, and the professor, it was just like, it just happened. He happened to bring up, uh, the Unabomber and ask the class, like, does anyone know how the Unabomber got caught? And funny enough, like coincidentally, Joe Rogan had had a guest on that week who talked about the Unabomber. And the guest in this podcast was like, yeah, the Unabomber's brother turned him in because uh, the Unabomber was like sending those letters. And he, there's the phrase, you can't, (laughs) so this is the phrase that I think most of the time how people say it is they say, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Um, And I guess the Unabomber in his letter was like, you can't eat your cake and have it too or something like that. And the guy in the podcast was like, yeah, the Unabomber, like the Unabomber's brother knew that the Unabomber was very pedantic about that statement. Like he would always correct people. They said it wrong. And in this class, my (laughs) professional responsibility professor just happens to be like, does anyone know how the Unabomber was caught? And uh, this guy freaking raises his hand and he's like, well, his brother turned him in. And it was because he used the phrase, like you can't eat your cake and have it too. And he was very, and I quote, pedantic about it. I was like, (laughs) it was... (laughs) It's like the highlight of my life. Cause I was like, this guy probably feels like he's so freaking smart right now. Just saying that. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being too judgy, but I was like, at least use a different word. Like just say that he was just, I don't know, really stubborn about correcting people with that. Like who uses the phrase pedantic in everyday life? Unless you're like, I don't know, maybe now I'll say it. I don't even know the strict definition of the word pedantic, but I knew that that guy did not use pedantic in everyday life. And uh, yeah, so that, that was like, that might've been the first time I really like heard a guy like quote unquote the Joe Rogan podcast without referencing the Joe Rogan podcast. And then I had my best friend's boyfriend listing off all the like 10 reasons he hates California, even though he's never probably set foot in the state like one time like one of the reasons was our income taxes i was like why do you care about the income taxes that you don't pay 
it's dumb anyways um but uh yeah he was just like going on and on about uh California and the reasons why he hated it and I was like wow this guy is really quoting the Joe Rogan podcast back to me not verbatim but you know paraphrasing um and I just thought it was hilarious because I was like bro we got the fourth largest GDP in the world like calm the calm down like I don't know small potatoes to me really um sometimes but maybe that's why people hate California sometimes is because we just think we're like as a state hot shit but it's a huge state and it's got yeah a big economy um but you know it, it might be might be dying who knows we do have a lot of wildfires and this past week it's actually really sad like i don't know i think at least about 10 people have died from all the storms we've had because we've had a lot of flash flooding and the soil the way that like we've set up our irrigation systems in California has been so that like we don't get floods very often so when we do the soil can't like absorb the water the same way and then it results in more flooding and then I don't know if you've seen pictures of the coast um I've been kind of I shouldn't joke about it but like my partner and I are looking to like get a place and we live in San Diego and I was like, well, you don't want to be too coastal because in 50 years from now it might be underwater. But I was like, but in 50 years from now, we might also have oceanfront property. Um, and if you've been looking at the pictures in California, at least I saw some in Mission Beach, San Diego and literally water coming up and flooding these houses along the boardwalk. Like I've only... Uh, again i live in california there's like literally no water here ever except for right now um the only time i've experienced a flood not even yeah i haven't even had a plumbing flood yet um the only time i've experienced a flood was when i was in long island with my partner and his dad at his dad's house and they had just like torrential downpour like just like a summer like thunderstorm and it just like dumped water and it flooded his dad's like basement and I had my computer on the ground luckily at that point my computer was like four years old three years old about yeah it must have been four years old it was about four years old and I needed to get a new one but I was waiting because I'm poor I'm not poor but (laughs) it's a lot of money for me um and his basement flooded and my computer was on the ground and just like water just dumped out of my computer just like like my backpack was on the floor, like things in my backpack got destroyed. Like I had to, we were supposed to leave the next day and I just had to like throw a bunch of stuff out. And that's not even like to like even talk about like the floors or like the fact that his dad had to repaint the wall or like, you know, if there was any appliances that were like plugged in that they're like, his dad was moving out of the house. So there was like hardly anything in this basement and it was still so much work to fix. And ever since then, I've been like, wow, I floods are so they wreak so much havoc. And so when I saw that picture of Mission Beach with like the salt water flooding these floor, like and because I live by the beach, I know how corrosive salt water is now. Like if you have a house that's like like, I don't know, super coastal your termite issues are crazy you have to repaint your house all the time like salt water is like the most corrosive thing um 
you know, back, like you soak your feet when you have an infection in salt water. Like it is, it kills, it destroys things. Like you go surfing, you have to rinse your wetsuit out every time to protect your wetsuit from the salt water. Um, and you see these houses and they're just flooded with salt water. And like they're just like multi-million dollar homes right, right on the beachfront. And I was just like, wow. You know, as, as one Reddit commenter said, today's a great day to be poor. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I'm actually sorry to like people out there if you're really experiencing some trouble because of these storms, because yeah, I, uh, haven't, I've been pretty fortunate so far, but it's sad. Um, a kid in San Diego and Mission Hills who is like rock climbing last year, died because of a flash flood so this shit's real you know um and you know maybe (laughs) i'm watching six feet under right now my friend one time said i think too much about death and i was like yeah that's probably true but i i cannot stop thinking about death like i literally i to (laughs) to explain a little bit, like I lost my dad when I was 23 and it was after a long fight with cancer, like six years. So like between the years, I was like 18 and 23. It was just like my dad's fight with cancer. And so I feel like much of my early adulthood was defined by like that. And when he died to me, it was like, like I knew the whole time he was dying, but until it really happens, I, I like, it wasn't real. Um, and I'll get more into this in a different podcast cause I'm running a little long, but, uh, Jeanette McCurdy, she released that book. Like, I'm glad my mom died. And I think there's a line in it where she says, um, I see two types of people in the world ever since my mom died, those who know loss and those who don't. And that line really resonated with me because I was like, yeah, like I think about death all the time. It is, it is something that I don't know, like I don't need to force myself to think about like the Stoics would, like (laughs) I need to force myself not to think about it. Um, and that's also part of the reason why I like doing all these projects and stuff is because they make me feel alive. Like I know I'm mortal, but when you put yourself into something and you put it out there, that feels immortal like that feels death death defying to me so I'll end on that note you know if you're afraid to put yourself out there or do that project that you're like I'm not good enough to do just freaking do it because life is way too short you know it is it is it's gonna go by fast and the way time works is it's relative and the more time you experience the faster 